So my message tonight is about God's plan over generations. There's two elements to that title. God has a plan for mankind. But that plan preceded your generation. And that plan is for your generation. But that plan needs to continue on beyond your generation. It is a plan over all generations. And so to start my message, I want to tell you a cool story. So some of you might know that I used to be a 200 and 400 meter sprinter, uh, loved sprinting. And uh, one of the things that I enjoyed most as a sprinter was running relays, okay? Anyone else relay runners in the house? You ran relays? Yes, yes. You swam relays? Yes, there we go, yes. Any type of relay, okay? I loved relay. It took my individualistic sport and made it a team sport, okay? Loved the relays. That's a picture of me in 2015. Uh, we competed at SA Senior Champs in the 4x400 meter relay. I was dead after that race. But when I was in primary school, okay, um, we, we were very competitive as a relay team in our district. And so I was in law school, Fairland, and we were running against Fontainebleau. Freaking Fontainebleau. And they were quick. But we believed we were quicker. So we were hyped up, excited. We're going to win this relay. We're going to beat Fontainebleau. We were excited. We trained. We, we, were, we were there, okay? And so the race started. The gun goes off. First leg brilliantly. We're there. We're in the race. And then the first handover. We dropped the baton. We dropped the baton, and instead of the guy going back, picking up the baton, and running, we wanted to beat Fontainebleau so badly, so they were just like, go. <laughs> and the second guy runs, and he's like, okay, you know, and the third guy is just like, go. And he comes, and I'm the last guy. I'm like, sure, I'm in, you know, let's do this. Go, running, over, and we beat Fontainebleau. Yeah. Yes, okay, we beat them, and I'm celebrating. We got disqualified <laughs> with our imaginary baton. Um, <laughs> so, it didn't matter that we won. On the results sheet, we were in eighth place with a nice little DQ next to our name. And, um, and that's the thing about relay races is it doesn't matter how fast you are. In the end, most often, the team that wins is not the fastest team. If you look at um, Commonwealth Games of this year, uh, Jamaica did not win the relays. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was Brazil. I should probably have checked that up. But who... Brazil, I mean... Who's Brazil in sprinting? Name one Brazil sprinter. You know? But the reality is, in relays, 
in athletics realize it's most often in the Olympics not the fastest team that wins, but the team that is the best with the baton. They win the race. The team that is best with the baton. I started off by saying our God has a plan for humanity. He has a victor's end. He has the victory's area planned out for mankind. The finish line he has in mind. And to reach that end, he has given us a baton. For all of us, he has given a baton. How do we make sure that we do not drop the baton, but that we run the race well and get into God's victor's corner? That is what this message is about. This message is about running the race and reaching the end as victors. It is about receiving the baton, running the race well, and handing it over to the next generation. So for us to talk about that, we're going to be in Psalm 102, verse 18 to 22. If you have your Bibles with you, Psalm 102, verse 18 to 22. For those of you who are too lazy to get your Bibles out, you can follow with me on the screen. Let's do this. So 102 verse 18 says, Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that He looked down from His holy height from heaven, the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem His praise. When peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. Okay. How do we ensure we reach the end of the race as victors? Not drop the baton. Number one, we need a united passion for the baton. We need to be united in our passion for the baton. Cannot win the race, don't have the baton. The baton is the doorway. You can cross the line if you don't have the baton, if you don't have the means, the thing you need to enter the victor's corner, you're not victorious. The baton in this message is verse 19 and 20. It is that God looked down from heaven. He saw the groans of the prisoners and those who were doomed to die. And he heard them. The baton is a message, guys. It is a message and it's called the gospel message. It is a message that says, God sitting in heaven on his throne heard the prayers of the poor. Not privileged enough to be studying. Asking God, How in the world am I going to be set free from this situation? And God heard their prayers. When God, when the Bible says God hears our prayers, it doesn't mean that He's just, He's, uh, it's selective hearing. Like He's sitting up there and He's, you know, He's choosing what He hears and He hears some things and He hears other things. When the Bible says God hears our prayers, when the Bible says God sees us, it means that He gives attention And then he mobilizes all that he is to do something about it. 
That's what it means when you read the Lord hears. He does something. And God sitting up there, hearing the cries of broken families, hearing the cries of those hurting, hearing the cries of those who have been cheated on, those who have been unfaithful, hearing the cries of those who have been abused, marginalized, rejected, did something about it. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, in essence being God, left heaven and the glories of heaven, lived the perfect life that we should have lived. Jesus Christ, wherever he went, the poor were helped. The blind were starting to see. There are dead who were raised from their graves bodily. Jesus turned water into wine. He even made weddings more fun. This was Jesus Christ. But at the end, what we deserved, he took in our place. So that if we believe this message, if we understand and believe this message, we can be saved. God hears us. Now here's something you need to understand about the gospel message. Okay? The gospel message, this message is not just the message that, um, by which you're saved once, okay? It's not a message that you hear, you believe it, and you say, I'm saved, great. Now let me move on to greater things in God's kingdom. No. Listen to what Timothy Keller, renowned preacher, says about the gospel. My word, what happened to the slides? It was not like that on my computer. It's okay. He says, the gospel is not just the way to enter the kingdom of God. It is the fundamental dynamic for living the whole Christian life. The gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It is the A to Zs. We never get beyond the gospel in our Christian life to something more advanced. We're not justified by the gospel, then sanctified by obedience. But the gospel is the way we grow and are renewed. It is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, the victor's corner. It is the way we make all progress in the kingdom. It is the way we run the whole race that is the baton. So the key to continual, deeper spiritual growth is the continual rediscovery of the gospel and how to orient every part of your life around it. This is the baton that God has given us. This is the baton. This is the message we need to enter the victor's corner. This is the message we need to when we cross the line to enter the doorway of the kingdom. But you see, we can drop this baton. Here's how we drop it. Here's how we drop it. We drop it when things like our jobs, our possessions, our relationships, our image on social media, our marks in university, the results, our degree, our success, even our feelings become more important than Jesus Christ. That's you dropping the baton. That's it. So I see a lot of open chairs here. If there's any student studying right now 
is going to listen to this message. Don't drop the baton. You will write better being filled by the Holy Spirit here tonight than sitting at your desk fooling yourself thinking you're studying. My word, don't drop the baton. Drop your phone, drop your friends, don't drop Jesus. If you look at someone like King Hezekiah, okay, one of my favorite kings in the Old Testament, you can read his story from 2 Chronicles 28. Love his story. King Hezekiah brought worship back to Jerusalem. He broke down idol worship and he established altars and he, he, he instituted the, the Levitical priesthood again so that God, Yahweh, might be worshipped in Jerusalem. Hezekiah was so intense that when Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, threatened to invade Judah, he already took Israel. So he was like, your God can save you. Hezekiah said, no problem. Let us answer King Sennacherib with worship. And he worshiped God. And in one night, the period of eight hours, God sent one angel who killed 185,000 men. If you do the math, that's six men per second. That angel was busy. And Hezekiah did this. And then his son Manasseh became king. And he undid all of the work that his father did. He broke down all of the altars of worship for God. And he re-erected idol worship in Judah. We don't know why. But one thing is certain. Hezekiah did not prioritize handing over the good news baton of God to the next generation more than he did prioritize his own kingdom. That's how we drop the baton. Number two, we drop the baton when we change the message. When we say, yes, gospel is great. Jesus died for my sins. But hey, if I die now, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I'm trying my best. I'm doing my best. Got bad news and good news. Bad news is your best will never be enough. Good news is Jesus' best was more than enough. You're not going to heaven based on your works, but based on your faith. And it is your faith and God's grace that will change your works. Final way we drop the baton is when we keep it to ourselves. This is the story of Europe. In the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, Europe was sending missionaries to the world, to China mainland in masses. Today, Europe is all but atheistic because they kept that gospel message, sent it to the world, they did not give it to their next generations. Something wrong happened there. You look at Joshua, Joseph. Something happened when Joseph died in Egypt. He saved the whole of Egypt by God's dreams and visions. Saved the whole of Egypt. And it says, then there came a king who did not know Joseph or remember Joseph. And he instituted slavery of Joseph's people. Somewhere the good news got lost among the generations. That's how we dropped the baton. 
Here's how we pass the baton. Number one, we pass the baton when we make disciples. The main medium that Jesus Christ gave us to hand over the good news to the next generation was by making disciples. Now, discipleship is when you and someone else have a good relationship where you are transparent with one another, you're honest, and you are influencing each other intentionally to follow Jesus Christ with every part of your life, to fish for unbelievers, and for those unbelievers to, to funnel back into local church so that the church is strengthened following Jesus and sending out more fishermen. When you have relationships that influence people, that is when you are passing on the baton. Now, we as a church have a very, very clear discipleship way that you can be a part of discipleship. Very clear. The thing that changed my life when I walked into this church was I, I got hurt in church. When I was in, in high school, I church hopped a lot. And the thing that irritated, that you see, that plod me the most was when I walk into the back of the church, nothing against you guys in the back of the church, honor you, you're probably sitting there because you were late, sis. <laughs> but I walk into church and I see here standing a guy worshiping, but I know two nights ago he was drunk out of his mind. And Jesus Christ telling everyone how big a Christian he is, but his life is not speaking of Christ. Hey, we, we all know people that do that. That happens when a church prioritizes this worship meeting, your experience here, above discipleship. That happens when we as a church place more emphasis on the amount of butts on seats here on a Sunday then we do the amount of people whose lives are transformed and proclaiming Jesus Christ out there, not in here. That is when we as a church drop the baton. If you have been coming to this church and you have been sitting on this seat and you are not part of discipleship, then after this service, you mark a putifar, you lap aside to the back, and you go to that book and info table and you say, I want to be part of discipleship now. Okay? Or you will drop the baton. This is how we pass over the baton. Influential relationships. We need to be united in our passion for the baton, the gospel message. Steve Morrill in his book, 100 Years From Now, he says, the gospel is always one generation away from extinction. G. Carson says it takes two generations. He says because the first generation believes the truth, the next generation assumes everyone knows it's true. And then the third generation denies the truth. If we are going to hand over the baton, we need to be united in our passion for the baton. Number two. We need to be united in our honor for the team. I'm obviously talking about my relay team. I need to be united in my honor for each other. 
Every single person in that team plays an incredibly important role. Look at verse 18 of Psalm 102. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. The incredible thing about the psalmist here is he recognized something, okay? He recognized God's vision, God's plan goes beyond his generation. So here's what he does. He writes and records his progress. So that the generation that comes after him might be better than he was. Might start ahead. He records it. But he's also expecting something from the next generation. He expects that they're going to honor what he wrote. And there's a double honor going to happen here. Now there are so many stigmas with regards to generations, Okay. Obviously, the older generation is, uh, is proud, right? They know it all. They're self-wise. Well, guess what? A lot of us here sitting, younger generation, they think we're ignorant. And well, you know what? Self-wise. Just like them. A little bit of a problem here. We need to get over this because at some point, generations we'll have to run the race together. We're going to have to run together. And this is where my analogy on the relay race falls short. When you are in your team and you hand over the baton, hopefully not a fake one, usually what you do is you retire to the stands and you shout and you go. And here's the important thing for our older generation. When we're running with the gospel, you never retire. Until you yourself cross the line at the end of your life. You don't retire. Which means that at some point you, younger generation, are going to have the gospel. And you're going to have to run with the older generation and together share the gospel. We need to create many lanes to run in. And give many patterns. Look at what the psalmist says, Psalm 71, verse 8. It says, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Any third years in the crowd tonight? Third years? All right. Your third year. Have you passed the baton to a first year yet? Anyone who's finishing their time at university now on tux, finishing time, there we go. There we go. Is there someone who's going to run with the same fervor for Jesus Christ on the university campus next year and the year to come because of you? I hope so. I trust they will. Do you view the first years as subordinates or co-heirs of the kingdom of God? Hey, first years, do you view the older generation as irrelevant? Young ones, your fathers, your mothers, your grandparents, irrelevant, right? No longer relevant to my generation. They don't understand. Or do you view them as co-heirs? 
Do you honor them as those who have gone before you, who have run miles, blood, sweat, and tears to face up to this world, share the gospel in this world so that whatever they hand over to you might ensure that you are better than they were? Do you have that view? Do you have the view that the person you're walking with has to be better than you? Are we making progress? Look at what John says at the end of his life in 3 John verse 4. This is the apostle, the disciple John, okay? Young John, junior John, who is now at the end of his life. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And John never got married according to our knowledge. It's not talking about natural children, guys. I've got a question. What if the greatest contribution you made to the kingdom of God is not something you did, but someone you raised? Awesome example of this in the New Testament. Three, three men, Barnabas, Paul, and Timothy. Barnabas was afraid. Paul was a racist. And Timothy was insecure. And then the baton came to them. I received the gospel message. Barnabas said, Paul, who killed Christians, was a devout Jew and a racist towards the Gentiles. I'll give him a chance because I was changed by the baton. I was changed by the gospel. And he started including Paul on his mission journeys. And he walked with Paul. And he trusted Paul, and he served with Paul, and he discipled Paul. And Paul grew to become one of the most prolific church planters in history. And so Paul did the same. He said, Timothy, insecure Timothy, come with me. I include you in my ministry. I entrust you with my letters that you are now holding in your hands. Do you guys know what you are reading in the New Testament? The things that are changing your life day to day was written by Paul, an ex-racist, and given to Timothy, an ex-insecure gentleman. And he ran with the letters all over Asia Minor. And Paul said, you know why I'm sending Timothy? Because there's no one I trust more who will be truly concerned for your well-being than my son, Timothy, who used to be insecure. I want to call on generations. And now you can be an older generation, younger generation. The incredible thing about this uh, evening service is this evening service for everyone ages 13 to 35 and beyond. At some point, we're going to start a kids' church here. The only reason why the young adults leave the evening service is because there's no kids' church. When you start having children, you go to the morning service because there's kids' church. But we'll start a kids' church in the evening service, okay? We'll do it. And then it's going to be for everyone. It's going to be community service. But the youth... They were here this morning and they heard this message. So they're not here tonight. They're studying for exams. But they usually sit here. The youth, the 14-year-old, the 15-year-olds, the 16-year-olds, those that the students say, I've graduated from high school. Now they bring the snot his back. <laughs> hey, guys. There's about five to 6,000 teenagers living in this area within every nation Willows' reach. 
five to six thousand. You know what we need the most as a youth ministry? I lead the youth ministry in our church. This is our new youth merch. It's coming soon. Coming soon to a book and info table near you. Our youth logo. This is our lordship logo, okay? Looks cool, okay? What we as a youth ministry need most, we need an older generation, students and young adults, who are willing to disciple a teenager. That's what we need most. So I want to call on you guys. I'll put a table up for you to make this as simple as, you can, as I can, okay? Next slide. Older generation. Do you want to include the youth, please, at this evening service? Will you include them? Have a coffee with them? Trust them? Give them the message? Serve with them? Wash cups? Pull them in? Do you want to disciple them, please? Young, then the, 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 the youth, if they were here. But you guys are a younger generation, okay? When you're looking at the older people, you look at the morning service, you look at your parents. Do you want to be available when they call your name, please? Be faithful with what they give you. Do you want to serve with them? Do you want to honor them? Can we call on this church to walk in such a manner where our generations together are running for the same goal? And it is not that our names be heard. It is not that we will be the best generation. It is not that the next and the next and the next and then a hundred years from now they will talk about the generation of the people who were born in 1994. Which is when I was born, okay? <laughs> they will talk about Jesus Christ. No one and nothing else. And that brings me to my third and final point. If we want to hand over the baton, we need to be united in our goal. We need to run for the same end. We need to work towards the same end. What is that end? Psalm 102 verse 21 and 22 says, That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord in Jerusalem His praise. When peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. The end that we want to see is that in our lives, we worshiped the Lord, we handed over the baton in discipleship, and we saw those we discipled worship the Lord. Why worship the Lord? Well, this is what worship is. Firstly, worship is to submit, sacrifice for, obey something or someone. Whatever has captured your heart, your mind and your priorities is what you worship. That's it. That's what you worship. And the problem with being captured by anything else than Jesus Christ is whatever you worship, that is what you will become like. And that is the world you will see around you. A couple of years ago, three years ago, I had the honor and the privilege of leading our apologetics ministry. I taught our apologetics course that we do during equip training. Apologetics is the area of Christianity that deals with the onslaughts, the scientific and philosophical onslaughts on the faith of Christianity. Okay. I was looking for a different word, but my words have run out. And so while we were presenting this course, I asked Pastor Sam Seopa, who leads our church plant in Namalodi, to come and present on African worship, Africanism, Africa. 
And he walked in and he started and he said, this is how he started. He said, Africa does not have a poverty problem. Africa does not have a corruption problem. It doesn't have an incompetence problem. It doesn't have a colonialization problem. It doesn't have a money problem. Africa has a worship problem. When you have people in poverty worshiping money and you give them money, they become like the thing that they worship, greedy. And it plays out in corruption. You want to solve the problem of poverty with money? You breed corruption because you will become like the thing you worship. The biggest problem our world has is a worship problem. And we need to be united around the goal of worshiping God, our first love.